Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? We have a three-part series on what's probably one of my favorite books of all time. I made my I don't know if this is the right thing to do or not, but I made my, uh, at, the, at the time my son was 11 years old when I made him read this for the first time, or 12 years old when I made him, he was, he's a big reader, so for him it wasn't that big of a deal. But uh, it is uh, the oddly named 1937 book by Dale Carnegie called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And when this book sits on my bookshelf and, and folks look at it, they have uh, questions, obviously, right? It's a it's an oddly named people, oddly named books that, talks about influencing people and winning friends. And that's just kind of a, maybe at best a taboo subject. Um, at worst, maybe a little bit of, um, I don't know. How would you put it, Bobby? Uh, I would think that you're trying to mind, mind wash me and, uh, take, take me over. I, I, I don't know, but I would be scared if I didn't know the book, but I know the book. What surprises me is did Ryan holiday write this book? I know. How about that? A book that Ryan holiday didn't write that I'm reading. And you said it was like one of your most favorite. I, I'm just shocked, but I'm sure his fan club will not lynch you because of that. Yeah. I don't know. Does he have a fan club yet? I don't know. Uh, the, the people that subscribe to his books <laughs> and everything. The, the president is on the other end of this microphone. No doubt. So, uh, again, this book was written in 1937 by Dale Carnegie. Um, I'm going to talk about kind of six broad benefits of the book. And then we're going to talk about this from three perspectives. Customers that you're working with, partners that you're working with, and then working internal to your, the company that you work for. I think there's kind of three things that can help you uh, here. Um, this book is great if you're trying to get yourself out of a rut, which I, I think we all have an aggressive, hardworking job that's, that is inevitable. If you're trying to make friends more easily, for you extroverts, Bobby, uh, that's not really a big deal. But for us introverts, that can be a challenging thing. Uh, how to win people on your thinking how to increase your ability to get things done, how to make you a better sales or sales manager or executive. And then finally, and it's it's very closely related how to make friends more easily, is just to be a better conversationalist. It helps you really... It, what I need is a framework for a lot of things. Like that's how my mind works. I've built things in Excel or Google Sheets and have things in OneNote. So I need a framework for it. And that's, I think it's what I appreciated most about this book is... What came very naturally to some people didn't come naturally to me. Uh, how to how to work with people and how to understand their reasoning and how to get them to talk and that kind of stuff wasn't a very natural thing for me. When you read it, Bobby, was it? I don't know. Did you? Were some of these things like obvious to you? Because you are very much an extrovert. Was this an obvious book to you? By no no stretch, no, it was not. It was. Uh, something I had to reread many times, something I listened to on Audible more than once, and something I ran a few book clubs on to just get other people's perspectives because, well, it's like any other good book. The content's pretty simple to understand, pretty straightforward. Um, it's hard to implement in practice. Um, one that sticks out just from my mind and, and one that you probably can relate to knowing me as long as you have is you know, not to overreact to things, not to just guess the worst, right? He talks a lot about how the, how we, how we respond to people in general and assume our thinking is their thinking. That's a hard one still for me to do today, but I think I learned a lot from that book as it relates to that, right? That, um, you aren't exactly thinking about things the way I am. 
Um, but it's more that gut reaction when someone says something that sets you off, right? That don't don't be set off by it. Be thoughtful and think through it, right? So lots of good nuggets in this book, and one that I uh, I haven't made my son read yet, but one that we all kids and all adults could learn from for sure. Yep. So today we're going to cover uh, two topics, and we'll cover several topics from the book over the course of this uh, three-part series. Uh, the first one is handling people. That's what we'll talk about first. And then second, we're going to talk about, uh, again, these these are kind of the oddly named sections of an oddly named book, but it is uh, six different ways to make people like you. So the first one, Bobby, is uh, handling people. And um, it sh- they share kind of three techniques, and I thought we might even role play on one of them. Uh, because uh, I, I don't know, for me, this is this section of the book I learned the most about how to give feedback to people I work with, people that work for me, people that I work for, um, like giving and receiving feedback in a uh, constructive way is one of the most powerful superpowers, I think. Uh, it helps you get more of what you want and need to get your job done. Um, so the first one here is is not to uh, criticize, uh, condemn, or complain. Uh, when you're working with people, um, when they're criticized or humiliated, they will uh, probably from, probably from your experience too, like they become defensive, right? Like they don't, they resent that critic. They don't necessarily aren't necessarily looking for uh, negative feedback. Actually, none of us are looking for like negative feedback or to be condemned or to be criticized. That's never a constructive way to pass along feedback to somebody. No, and I probably have done it in a negative way many times over. Um, and probably if I was on tape giving some feedback when I was a new manager, it would probably be uh, of the of the catching sort, right? Um, I'm in a I'm in a class that we're trying to build at the school flight school right now, and there's really two master instructors that are delivering this content to a small group of people as we're testing and going to build it out um, much broader and wider for other students, but. One is is the is probably handling the group in a way that they're they're catching everything we're saying wrong and highlighting that and telling us where we're not right and making telling us the mistakes we're making and the other one seems to be um, in the mindset of more just casual dialogue helping us understand the artifacts helping us understand the things we need to learn and how to convey them so that they'll stick with people and it's amazing how my blood pressure is different in both sessions <laughs> and i'm i'm getting so much more out of one half than the other half um and it's it's one i'm resonating on because quite, quite frankly i'm much more like the first person i'm much more like it it, it doesn't bother me i'll take the challenge and i'll i'll have the debates but um I know I've done that to other people, and I think it's been ego a little bit more to me where I wanted to prove I was better and right, but it got me nowhere when I did it. Um, I produced little to no results. And the second one here is giving sincere and honest appreciation. Um, it's obviously appreciation is like a really powerful tool. It uh, it shows people that... Um, it's got to be specific and it's got to be genuine. And we've talked about that before on the, on the podcast, of course. Um, and people can see right through disingenuous, uh, appreciation, but, uh, people won't work at the highest level of, um, potential if they're under this kind of veil of criticism, like they want to know they did something right. It doesn't necessarily make you a needy person, 
either. Like you just want to know that I'm, I'm doing it right and that this is my effort is appreciated. We invest so much into our job, into our work, into the company that we work for, into the clients we work for. We want to be understood and we want to be um, shown that we're heard for what we're saying. And then third one is um, seek to see the other point of view from the person that you're talking to. So like um, you have to forget our own perspective and the point that's at the tip of our tongue that we're just waiting for them to finish their statement so that we can rebut with our statements. And it's to show that you genuinely hear what they're saying and that it makes sense or that you can concede some points of view that they have. And if you can start off at that point, you can have a far more uh, constructive conversation and get to the end point easy. And I, I even help like my, my own daughter with this. Like she was uh, debating with with my wife on something, her mom with something, and um, I was like, you know, Anna, if you just if you conceded this, like if you told her you understood this, but this is your point of view here, you guys would you guys could could uh, clear much more ground. And I. Um, I think that these three principles like are so fundamental to how we um, coexist with our workmates, coexist with customers, is fully understanding their point of view, uh, showing appreciation for the effort and the things that they do, um, and then not, not try to humiliate them when we're giving them the constructive feedback. No doubt. All, all good stuff and all good reminders. And we were joking about a dress code violation at my flight school before we started. And uh, it, it to me, being on this side of that argument, it would be so easy for someone to just do that piece and then get – I would look the other way on a lot of other things, right? Um, but it does seem that we, we want to – they want to ruffle their feathers and prove to me they can wear something that's not appropriate um, – and it just drives me insane sometimes, but it isn't, it is like you said, for your daughter, it's easy to concede on some small pieces of things to, to win the greater good. I, I do think at times it's also f- fun to just fight or argue. <laughs> so people <laughs> continue is. to do it. It's the desire to win that overcomes and talk back to the appreciation piece real quick. You know, I think that I've always been a guy who loved the rewards and the outcomes of the results that I was producing, but I also needed to be told I was doing a good job, right? I needed to be reminded or, um, I guess, patted on the back. Not, not. I don't think always for the ego, but just to make sure that someone was seeing all my hard work, right? I think overachievers will often claim they don't need the appreciation, but they probably really do because they're probably putting in what they think is 2x the work. And they want, they want to make sure that others around them are seeing that. So key things uh, – for everybody on this podcast to be thinking about as it relates to the way they interact with people. Yeah. Anybody that says they don't, anybody that verbally says, uh, I don't care about the, the being shown appreciation, know that that's probably the one or two thing on their list, right? Like they don't see it as a benefit, but they clearly, um, it's clearly important to them. If they're saying it's not important, it almost always is. No, no. And so Bobby, I thought, uh, I was going to make it a little uncomfortable. I thought that I would, uh, the, the old persona that you talk about quite often on the podcast about the old Bobby, the hard driving Bobby, I thought I might be a peer of yours or a sales manager of yours that would deliver feedback uh, to you. How about that? I'm in. Sound Give it good? to me. Yeah. Okay. I hope I'm making my number. <laughs> you are making your number. I mean, that was a hallmark um, of, of yours back in the day. So I, I was thinking, um, 
that it would be more around like what you were kind of, well, let me just get right into the feedback. Uh, all right. So, so Bobby, um, look, man, you continue to be uh, top performer on the team. Uh, you've closed uh, as much, if not more revenue than anybody on our, in our group right now, hard drive. And I'm getting emails from you at 8 PM at night. You're clearly putting in incredible amount of effort. You're well-organized. You've got your team aligned and uh, on all these pursuits, right? Like you're not, um, you're not letting people come unprepared for meetings. Uh, you're investing a lot of time to understand the client's needs and make sure that we're aligning um, the um, right resources to meet those client needs, to have the right demonstration ready to go. And you, uh, to, for you to be able to do all that, you must be working 60 hours a week to do it. The challenge is, not Wait, let me in- let me respond like I would have responded in the old days. <laughs> okay. So what's the problem? I know there's a butt coming, but look, I, <laughs> I come to this meeting prepared. I got my team prepared. We're blowing out our number. Um, I, I I'm exceeding all expectations. My scorecard's green in every angle. Um, I know you're gonna give me some feedback, but I I don't even want to hear it because I've done everything you told me to do. So let's just be clear. That's probably what was in my mind right before, <laughs> oh, it was, I, it was right before I heard what you're about to say. It was racing. It was racing. But Bobby, you know that we have hired really strong solution consultants to deliver these demonstrations. And they are hard to find. Like how long did it take us to find that last solution consultant that knew that product inside and out? Right. It took us four months to find that person. This, this is a hard job too. And they have, they get as much email and as much follow-up and post-customer support that, that probably shouldn't be on their plate. Uh, they get as much of that as you do. And you got to realize that they're probably at a different point in life that you are too. And they may not have the same aspirations to run a division that you do. They're in a different spot than when you than where you are. You can't blow these guys up. We're going to lose, by blowing them up, we're going to lose who are our best assets and aligning the customer's challenges to the problems we're looking to solve. So you've got to keep, you know, keep doing the things you're doing, keep doing the quarterback work that you're doing, but you got to approach this person and like truly understand what makes them tick, what's going on in their life. And if they're just not doing the work, they're not working a 40 hour, 50 hour work week. That's one thing, but we know this person and we know this person puts in a big effort. Well, I could go through all the things I was thinking back in those days, but I'll tell the listeners what I actually learned after years of hearing similar feedback. Um, and I think I think what it was was you know, there's a myriad, 10 different types of people, 10 different types of personalities, 10 different styles of of speak uh, speech. And, and I just had to I, – so I don't remember who actually got this one in my brain, but I realized that a balanced team of some – Strong driving people and some doorknob lickers, as I used to call them, as the people ready to leave every day and, and work less than the full effort, uh, whatever. I think a balanced team of a bunch of different personalities would make the team better. And I just had to realize that I wasn't going to click with every one of those styles and that I just had to, I had to be the one that dealt with that. Um, because they weren't wrong. They were just different. And their difference made my teams better. And it took me way too long to figure some of that stuff out. But once I did start to appreciate those people, I got a lot of candid feedback that while, man, they, I knew where you stood and I, I would love to work for you again, those were tough times. Um, and I, I hope I've matured uh, since those days for sure. Well, look, I think um, 
I think for for me, it's what it's why you and I got along so well from the beginning, right? It's like I was a hard driver too, uh, and now I was very introverted, so my approach was different, not better, just different. Like what I what I was constantly having to overcome was, um, I, I kinda, the the introvert can come across as somebody that's calm and not always like hard driving, ready to go. So I was always kind of overcoming a perception thing. Like, Brian, do you really care? Right? Like, it, so that was that was something I had to, to, to overcome. And like, you know, do you, uh, people tell me all the time still today that it took them six months to realize that I actually even liked them. Like they thought, man, I think this person, I think Brian just thinks I'm a jerk. Like, or he just is hearing something bad about me or he thinks something bad about me. Um, so we all have these, these, these personality things that uh, manifest themselves over over time with our workmates. Well, let's solve that by sharing with the listeners six ways to make people like you and they act like they don't like you, I guess, Brian. <laughs> let's do it. Why don't you take the first one? So uh, become genuinely interested in other people. Another one, like this whole book, by the way, sang to me, but uh, another one that was hard for me, and we've told the story about uh, our previous manager that when we both got promoted said, you know, people are going to recognize everything about you every day. They're going to know if you're chewing gum or not chewing gum. And I never took time to realize that I needed to, to care about other people. Not care. Care is not the right word. I didn't recognize when other people were going through tough times that weren't necessarily work-related, right? I was so yeah. focused on results, so focused on the scorecard, so focused on being the best in the country that I literally genuinely didn't have any interest in other people. I, I had interest in what the team was doing and the greater good for the team um, and I forgot birthdays, I forgot anniversaries, and I started to adapt to where today still I have hundreds of birthdays, hundreds of anniversaries. Um, we had Jeremy Epstein on the on the podcast a long time ago, and I tell he calls every year. Well, Jeremy's birthday is next week, and he'll be getting that call from me as well. I, I've had to adapt some of that to what wasn't natural to kind of overcome that, um, and I think – I genuinely did care. I just didn't make it enough of a priority and people knew it and people probably talked about it behind my back and they, they, they probably didn't see it for a long time that I did care and that I started changing some of my style and wishing them happy birthday and talking about family. My partner at the flight school, man, you can walk in the door and he's going to get to know everything about you before he tries to sell you flight, flight instruction. And I'm just a little bit different than that still today. I'm going to, I'm gonna try and hook you on the hook, and then I'll get to know you after. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I um, my from an introvert introvert perspective, um, for me, I have to like I have to really think about it. Some people like they'll be in a room full of people, and they can walk up to a group of people, and like they're gregarious and outspoken, and they're like making people laugh, and they're drawing things out of people, and they're telling stories. One hundred percent not who I am. In fact, I hate those type of events. I have to, uh, they, they always talk about like, what is, what adds to your life force or drains to your life force that drains my life force. Um, so what works for me and what the way I can be genuine about it, because I, people can definitely see through lack of, of genuine behavior here is to come prepared with questions. So like what I like to do is typically look at their, if it's a prospect, look at their LinkedIn profile, find out what kind of stuff they're into, find out what university they went to, what part of the country they lived in. Um, I like to try to kind of find things that could be an interesting conversation. So by way of investigation, um, 
and then understand their roles and their background and their business. Like what I, what excites me about working with customers is understanding the uniqueness of their business. And now if it's a, a manufacturing company that's growing by 1% a year and kicking out dividends once a quarter, probably not going to get fired up about getting to know their business. Although maybe if it's a manufacturing, something interesting perhaps, but that's for me, that's the, I have to be very intentional about it and I have to research ahead of times uh, so that it can be, so it can be real. No doubt. Um, another thing that this is really important for me um, because I have a, my, again, my personality is a little, little strange and, and, and unique and probably more strange than unique. Uh, when I, I manage a team that's remote, that's in a, you know remote territory, not all sitting here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, so I do webcam on for our team meetings and I have to, I don't necessarily have to force myself to smile, but I have to think about smiling because um, it's important. Like, <laughs> what kind of what kind of job would this be if like if we were pissed off all the time, right? Or like, yeah. or monotone all the time. So I have to like remember like how good do we have it? How grateful am I to have a company that I enjoy working for and a team that I genuinely love being a part of? And just smile. Like, let's just smile and let's think about the great things that are going on. That doesn't mean we don't talk about difficult subjects, uh, but let's let's smile. Why not? Yeah, no doubt. And while we're podcasting, we can see each other on cameras, and it's probably easier if we're smiling at each other than if we're frowning with to each other. But I've even heard that if you're on the phone talking to someone, if you smile, they'll hear that smile, and it's an important piece of getting people to like you for sure. The next one's important to me, and it, it's almost silly at this point, and probably because I've shared the story, it's backfired on me, but remember that a person's name to that person is the sweetest and most important sound in any language. And I think uh, at our flight school, I'll talk to that one again, we teach a lot of foreign students, and there are a lot of Jin Moks and Korean students and people from India that their names aren't natural, they're not Brian and Bobby, and they're hard to, they're hard to get to know, um, but I make a, a strong effort to, to know their names. To me, people that call me Bob, for whatever reason, it sets me off. And, and now that I've said it on this podcast, everyone will start calling me Bob oh, just yes. to set me off. Oh, yes. But it's not it's not you, Brian. Like if you call me Bob, I'm not. It's not going to drive me insane. But when I meet Dang someone you. on a golf course and we shake hands, and their name's Jerry, and I, my name's Bobby, and I call Jerry Jerry. I don't call him Jer all day. Like, what's up, Jer? You know, like we're not that close yet. But he calls me Bob all all day. I'm like, why can't he call me by my name? I'm not Bob. My name's not Bob. I know a lot of Bob. Some of them I like, some of them I don't like. So don't bring Bob into this. Um, it's a little silly, but it, it is true that I don't like people. I don't really like the name Bobby either, but it's the it's my name, so I'm going to use it. Um so I don't like when people call me Robert or Bob. They're just not me, right? So uh, it is a real facet. But people that call other people by very far, far off names, right? If if their name is is not really the the norm, uh, I have a person at the fly school named Will Marie, uh, and we all struggled with it. So she actually changed her name to Marie. I feel so sorry for her because her name's Will Marie. It's not Marie, but we mm-hmm. all struggled with this unique name and. It's a shame we should have kept calling her Will Marie, but I think I think people with unique names like that get the short end of that stick quite a bit, uh, and it probably does frustrate them. I, I use it all the time when I'm giving feedback too, because <clears throat> I like I especially kind of getting back into the leadership role. I, I 
it's something that's done like almost on a daily basis, right? So I try to really, I put a lot of thought into delivering feedback. Um, and I, I try to use their name when I'm delivering that feedback because it's, I want it to land, right? Like there's a, there's, it, I don't give away like throwaway feedback. Like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And when we're committing to it and, um, it's a great habit to get into. If it's something you don't do regularly now, it's, it's something that can feel, it can be very gratifying because it's feedback is a gift. And if it's delivered properly, like people will respect and appreciate that. And I oftentimes will use the person's name when I'm delivering the feedback to them. Like, like Bobby, this is important to me. Like you do this so well. And I'm not talking about like the crap sandwich to where you say something good, give the bad feedback and then say something good again. I just mean like using someone's name in this, in that scenario can be really powerful as well. I can't agree more. All right. Be a good listener. Encourage people to talk about themselves. Um, and it can't be just like, how about you? Like when they ask you a question that says, uh, Hey Brian, uh, what did, what did you, uh, what'd you do this weekend? What'd you get up to this weekend? You kind of ramble on about this or that. And you say, well, now how about you? Right? Like that's the cheapest approach to, uh, of delivering feedback to someone it's it's be a good conversationalist like again it goes back to like coming up with a few subject subjects that you can talk about and you can ask about to get them engaged in the conversation and you have to know a little bit of history or you have to have written something down i do it all the time in OneNote. if it's a customer prospect coworker, uh you know uh, boss whatever scenario whatever role they're in i have a few notes jotted down so i can ask them about you know, how is, is your son off for spring break this week? Uh, what, are, what are they getting up to? What are you guys getting up to? Have you planned a family vacation? Like I have, these things don't necessarily come naturally to, naturally to me. Some of you are probably rolling your eyes at this because this is so natural to you. It's not for me and it's probably not for half the population. So uh, take notes, know, know the people that you're uh, meeting with and know what's interesting to them. Because I, I guarantee there you will get a quick smile out of a prospect if you hadn't seen them in three months or six months or whatever, and you bring up a subject they talked about in their last meeting about a trip to Italy they were going on for the summer, like asking them, are they excited about it or how did it go? The fact that you remember that and care about that, they love nothing more than to talk about that trip. And they're, they turn out to be like interesting stories too. Yeah, no one knows if you made the note or if you really kept it at the top of your mind, so I mean, if you need the note, use the note. I do it as well. I use the contacts inside my iPhone, so I just keep running notes in the notes of those people. I have probably 100 favorite coffees for people. If I've if I've been somewhere and they said, my favorite drink at Starbucks is a non-fat chai tea latte, then I write that down. And if I happen to be going to see them and I pass a Starbucks, I just get them a tall non-fat chai latte, and they're just always amazed that that happens. Um, same thing if there's, if I took a, an executive out to dinner and they said, this is my favorite wine, that's going to be something that I put in a note, uh, and keep track of it. Obviously the kids stories are an easy one. Um, I met a guy I hadn't met in like 10 years and looked at my notes and I happened to remember because of my note that his daughter did equestrian and she was probably in college at that point when I saw him again. And he was amazed that I remembered that she was in equestrian uh, and it rode horses. And we, we talked and talked. It just broke the ice so much for us to start that conversation. And I, it gave him a million things to talk about. And one last little quick tidbit here. It's tough to, to really be engaged when you have a fire drill going on or you've got something really, really important going on. 
but it means so much to people. There's uh, a gentleman that I work with now that is, uh, he's a student of ours, but he, he's a skydiver as well. And every time you see him, he tells me, I'm on jump 78, I'm on jump 79, and I'm so busy, and I really don't want to hear about jump 90 or whatever number you're on, but I always settle in for a few seconds and say, what was special about this jump this time? What did you do different? Because he's working on all these different things, and he's so passionate about it. And it's probably the highlight of his day when he gets to tell someone who really listens uh, about his last jump, and uh, it means a lot to him. So I try to give it to him, and hopefully he's a raving fan because of that. But um, I would also say the downside would be to fake it, like – for me to tell him, well, what was special about the jump? And then jump into my phone and start reading text uh-huh. messages and Facebook and do an email. And him say, what do you think? And me go, uh, yeah, that's cool, man. And he go, no, I asked you a question about something else. You know, that would be very much the opposite effect uh, from being a good listener. So if you're going to do it, do it, be present. If you're not going to do it, don't do it and walk away. Yeah. Flip that phone upside down, close the laptop lid. <clears throat> And, and have the real conversation. And then, Bobby, the last one we'll talk about is to make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. So the golden rule is obviously to treat people how we want to be treated. It's um, well-known. But, like, we want to um, – people want to feel like what they've done or what they're doing is special and unique. And uh, we, we have the benefit of working with really unique startups sometimes in the in the company I work for at Workday. And, and I genuinely – I was, I was at a meeting yesterday out of town and, and uh, met with a company that's doing some really unique things in the oil and gas industry and um, just learning about their business. And like we were there for uh, effectively a six hour meeting and we, we wrapped up the meeting and it was a good day on all accounts on both sides. And it was you kind of look across the table and say, man, y'all are doing some really special things, you know, and, and that makes them feel good about the company they work for, the decision they made to come to that company, the job they're doing at that company. And, and it's, it was, it's, it, again, it, all these things have to be genuine. They have to be sincere. Um, but that, that improved our relationship. That was not my goal. It was sincere. Like you are, guys are doing some cool, fun things. And I think if you invest in relationships and understanding the people you work with, you'll find that they're doing something they feel is important as well. And if you don't like, you probably don't work for, you know, maybe you ought to look for a different company. If you can't get passionate about the comp- the clients that you work for um, and your ability to maybe solve some challenges they're working with and, and maybe you aren't working with the right company, but just know that that can be a thing that's exciting about the job. Yeah. And I'll add here that it, it can be to tech seller to tech seller, tech seller to customer. There's a lot of interactions where, a dialogue happens where what someone's doing they think is the most awesome thing in the world and it's just not that cool to you um but i bet it was at some point right and i can i can i can think of a dozen little scenarios where i've taught the customers and they're implementing something and it's huge and massive to them but it's it's like it's like a drip of one of the big projects i worked on in my tech career right and I have to be as interested in their success and what they're learning and what they're doing. If not, they're not going to give me the time of day when it's my turn to talk, right? So it does give it does it does give them a sense of importance when you listen with the importance in mind. And if you're sitting there and you're like, "Man, that's nothing." I've you'd say you deployed a hundred servers. I deployed ten thousand servers one time. 
um, that's probably not going to go over very well. And to do it insincerely is probably going to get you caught as well. So um, make people feel important. Make sure that they understand that their story is important and that you you have some level of sincerity. Uh, Treat them like you want to be treated. It'll, It'll go a long way. All right, with that, Bobby, we're going to wrap it up. For everyone listening, thank you. Please continue us to give us. Please continue to give us feedback. Remember, average is the enemy. Average sucks. Don't be average. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.